Good morning. Just want to make sure that I speak loud. I was instructed by him. So. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, good morning uh, to you here and to those on Zoom. Um, I, uh, so my topic today is, uh, as mentioned before, it's, uh, it's about Saul. And uh, it's mainly the conversion of Saul, uh, which is in chapter uh, nine of Acts. But I do like to go back further a little bit. I just wanted to, uh, the last week and the week before, Saul's name was mentioned, and I wanted to just bring that up a little bit. And I do just wanted to read the verses because I think it's it's important. Um, so I'm looking at Acts chapter 7 and verses 54 to 60, where we hear the story of Stephen uh, being stoned to death. And... Uh, I wanted to just read from verse 59. The account is from 54 to 60, but I wanted to start for time's sake. 58, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling out on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So here's the first introduction in the Bible that talks about Saul. Was Saul around? Of course he was. Um, You know, as we go on, we'll see how old he might have been. So he was around, but this is the first time where Saul's name was brought up. Um, so it's like, this is Saul's name. Remember that name. You're going to hear it over and over again. You're going to hear it so many times. And then eventually, um, his name will be sh- not changed. He actually had two names, but his, we will be referring to him as Paul as we go on through the book of Acts. So basically, this is a sign of a new beginning, um, uh, for Saul, that is, um, Seemed like, I think as Jim mentioned, he's destined to be in a high end level in the, with the Pharisees and so forth. So here we have in verse 58 says that they, um, in the beginning as witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of this young man, Saul. Um, just thinking about Saul, he might have been almost the same age as Jesus, maybe younger. Uh, I believe looking at the various, uh, information it might have been 6 AD that he was born so he might have been 30 to 35 years old at the time um so um here we have Saul who is um basically approving uh the slaying of of uh Stephen as he was stoned um Stephen was a man full of grace and power and was performing great wonders and signs among the people, but he was rejected. Here's another person that God sent and he was rejected. Well, the Lord Jesus was rejected as well. He was crucified, but then there's others that came afterward and they were slain. And I couldn't help but think of uh, Luke 13, 34, when the Lord said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you, yeah, your children together as a hand gathers her, uh, brought under the wings, but you were not willing. Woe to the scribes and Pharisees, as recorded in, this is another version when the Lord was talking about that in, in Matthew chapter 23. So he's referring to that a uh, few times in, during his ministry. Saul was born, Tarsus, as was mentioned, a city of Cilicia, it's modern southern Turkey, about 400 miles northwest of Jerusalem and some 300 miles uh, northwest of Nazareth. Saul was a Roman citizen. He was born into it. He was actually a Roman citizen. In some cases, uh, some people would buy their Roman citizenship, and it's expensive to some. So, um, but the good thing is for Saul, he could use that for his benefit as he moves on in spreading God's word. Um, and then um, he lived in Jerusalem early in his life, and uh, he was learning many things under the uh, guidance of uh, Gamaliel. Uh, um, so he was being trained to be uh, a Jewish scholar and, and so forth. Um, I have to refer to some verses, obviously, to, to show that, but, um, but it'll be brought up in the future. Acts chapter 22, 3, he said, that, was, that is Paul now. I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city, Jerusalem, at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was, and was zealous toward God, as you all are today. Saul and his father uh, were both strict, fundamental religious leaders in Judaism. They were Pharisees or worshipers of the law of Moses, who also placed great value in religion, uh, religious uh, tradition. And that's located in Acts chapter 23, verse 6. But when Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and women, I am a Pharisee, the son of a, Fa the son of a Pharisee, of the hope of resurrection of the dead. I am called in question. So now we go to the next chapter, chapter 8. Chapter 8 and the first three verses. Uh, now Saul was consenting to his death. That's consenting to Stephen's death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc uh, of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Um, so here's the second part where souls come into play. And here we have that he was consenting to Stephen's um, 
uh, death and that he was bringing havoc to the Christian, the Christian church and, and the families, men and women. Um, little did he know, little did he know that his life is going to be changing soon, that he was going to go from one extreme to the other extreme, as Jim was mentioning. It's, uh, uh, but as I was reading this, you know, before I go to chapter nine, I was thinking of, is it possible that Saul somehow met Jesus? Is it possible that Saul was at the cross, near the cross, when Jesus was crucified? Obviously, the Bible does not say so, doesn't say that. There's a lot of things in the Bible that we don't know, but we could maybe, because of the age limitation, because of his standing, we may be able to kind of say, well, maybe, you know, it's not written, but we could anticipate that. And there is few verses in the Bible that may claim that that, that really happened. Um, so I want to just uh, one of the the uh, reason I'm bringing this up is in De- Deuteronomy chapter sixteen sixteen in verse sixteen, um, three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in a place which He chooses at the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of the Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. One of the things that the Jewish people were doing, even Jesus' family when he was young, we could remember when Jesus was 12 years old and his family took him to Jerusalem for the Passover. His family went there for that particular reason. And and then um, on occasions when Jesus was there, when he was older, um, even at that time when he was being plotted, you know, to be killed uh, by the uh, by the Jews. Um, so, so Jesus went to Jerusalem for the Passover. His family did, and Saul, I'm sure he did with his family, you know, being that devoted as a as Jew. So there is a chance that they might have met. There is a chance that uh, somehow um, Saul may have been at that cross when Jesus died. Um, verse, verse 59, again, of chapter 7, um, assuming that Saul was a witness when the Lord was crucified, just an assumption, going back to chapter 7, when Stephen died, just before he died. There's these verses, and I wonder, the, the words that Stephen had given, they echoed the same words almost as the Lord Jesus gave when he was at the cross. And I, I'm just wondering if Stephen, if Saul was there, what was in his mind as he heard Stephen say these things. Stephen, when he was dying, he said, Lord, receive my spirit in verse 59. We go back to the Lord Jesus when he was on the cross. He said, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. That's in Luke 23, 46. When Stephen, before he died, he said this, Lord, do not charge them with the sin. And the Lord Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. 
Just a thought. Just a thought. Um, again, it's not 100% clear that Saul was there, but we could anticipate that it might have been. Going to chapter 9. Um, chapter 9 marks the turning point in Acts, in the book of Acts. Um, up to this point, Peter was basically the, the prominent person, person that was spreading and preaching the gospel to the Jews. And from this point on, Saul, or later we will know him as Paul, um, in chapter 13 of Acts, uh, Paul would gradually become the uh, leading figure in Christianity. And uh, the gospel will be spread not just to the Jews, but also, also to the Gentiles. Verse 1 of chapter 9, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus, so that if he found any who were on the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. You know, that's a long way from Jerusalem to Damascus. At that time, obviously, no cars, uh, almost 200 miles. So he's going to go all the way to Damascus to get some of those Christians that may have scattered over there or got saved in Damascus to bring them bound um, to Jerusalem so they could be punished and put on trials. Verse 3, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? In verse 5, and he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go to the city, and you will be told what to do. And the men who journeyed, and the men that, who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Twice Saul asked, uh, told the Lord, called the Lord, Lord, when, when he appeared to him. Twice. I mean, here's, here's a, a person who was prosecuting the church and who was doing a lot of bad things at the time, just by seeing that, that light that shone in front of him, just by hearing the, the sound of the Lord Jesus, his life was changed instantly, basically, by calling the Lord, Lord, by calling the Lord Jesus as Lord. And what do you want me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do? Am I, I'm all yours, you know? Um, while, while on his way to Damascus to arrest the, an extradite Christian back to Jerusalem, Saul was confronted 
by the very one that he was persecuting. What followed was one of the most dramatic convergence in U.S. US history. In the world history, in church, um, from one extreme to another, it is 180 degrees. How often do you hear that? How often? This is probably the, I don't know if any other places, I'm not saying it's not possible for someone to come to know the Christ as their savior in a matter of little time. Um, but I think all of us here, if I'm looking around, I think it was gradual, right? We, we didn't just come like this, like Saul, and, and uh, accept the Lord as our Savior. You know, we might have been born here. We might have been grown and, and part of the family, you know. Uh, so it was gradual, gradual and slow uh, process. In some cases, we know some people, I know a few people who, who really were off. I mean, they just had no belief whatsoever and, and eventually come to know the Lord as the Savior. I know a few people who were Muslims and, and they became to know the Lord as the Savior. Uh, and at the same time, being a Muslim, I know because they told me in Hanan a while back, that they are afraid for their lives because their families are against them. You know, this is, it's not easy. You know, Stephen, Steve Lemison was talking about how, you know, we are in the U.S. now and we, we don't have to worry about being persecuted as much as other places. And uh, by the way, they were here in the States and they were still concerned about their safety. So it happens, but in, most of the time, we are safe here in the U.S. There's various persecution that the church will have to deal with or individuals will have to deal with, but it's unlike other places in different parts of the world. In some cases, we have people that may come at the last minute when something extreme. I think yesterday, if I remember correctly, Stephen might have mentioned something about somebody waiting until something drastic happened, something tragic happened. And then they realized they need the Savior. They would pray uh, for, for, for his grace to them. And it's never too late. But, but it's something that, as Christians, you know, we, we are here and we could thank the Lord for it. And it doesn't matter when we became Christians, whether it's a second ago or, or a lifetime. It's all just as important to God. We are all his children. And he had plans for all of us in one way or another. And we could thank him for for the Lord Jesus and his work on that cross of Calvary for us. Verse 9 to 19 and chapter 9 or 10, uh, verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Aeneas. And to him, the Lord said uh, in a vision, um, and Aeneas said, uh, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen uh, a man named Aeneas coming in and putting his hand on him 
so that he might receive his sight. I was amazed when I was reading this. I mean, I read this so many times, but as you study, you, you see things. Here, the Lord appearing to Aeneas, telling him that Saul is having a vision or a dream, that Aeneas is going to come and, and, and give him sight. And it, it's just a, an amazing thought. Um, then Aeneas answered, Lord, I have heard of, from many, uh, um, from many about this man, how much harm he has done, uh, to the saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Still, there is fear, obviously, um, until, until they get the assurance at some point that Saul is really, uh, a Christian and is converted and is part of their family. But the Lord said, go, for he has, is a chosen vessel for, of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Oh boy, did, did he go through many things as we go through the book of uh, Acts and other uh, books that uh, Paul wrote. We know the things that he went. He suffered many things, almost being killed, almost shipwrecked, almost uh, killed a few occasions. He finally got killed, but but it's it was, it was really for the name of the Lord. He went through a lot, and it's a great example. I mean, we know, thank God we don't have to go through that. But God chose Paul because he was the right person for the job, I believe. And Aeneas went his way and entered the house, and laying his hand on him, said, Brother Saul, here we are, Brother Saul, right away we call him Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy uh, Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and like his, and received the sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. Um, well, the baptism didn't save Paul, uh, Saul, obviously, but he was baptized. Um, as the Holy Spirit indwelt him, you know, he, he now believed the Lord. He's, he's his Lord. And now he is ready to be baptized. Just as simple that he died with him and he rose, uh, again. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. And the next few verses, um, Already Saul is preaching in verse 20. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the son of God. In verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Wow. I mean, you know, from being a prosecutor of the church to to going back to these people that were with you and telling them that this is the Christ, that is amazing. And then in verse 23, we see that he escapes death. After, now, after a few days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Already they wanted to kill him. Or the thing they don't want to hear. They just don't want to hear. They cannot see with their eyes. They cannot hear with their ears. It's like 
something that certain people will not want to hear. And then we see that he wanted to join with the disciples. He was still afraid of him because of what he did uh, and what they heard about him. But finally, they, they all got together. And in verse 31, we see that the church prospers. Uh, the church prospers throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Paul had, Saul will be having a lot of work to do, traveling and, and preaching. He's the greatest missionary that we could record you know, from the Bible. He wrote so many books, and they were just uh, encouraging books that will make us grow and, and be closer to God. It, it's an amazing thing that he did. So what can we learn from Saul's conversion, right? Um, so Saul's conversion from uh, a persecutor of Christ to a Christ follower is one of the most eye-opening, as we mentioned before, and most powerful conversion ever recorded in the Bible. Through all of our conversions are equally, you know, no matter when you came to the Lord, our conversions are just as equal just as powerful and individually special in the sight of God. One cannot help but recognize the great things we can learn from soul salvation. God can save everyone, even the most hostile in the faith. You know, sometimes we might come across people that we say, they're never going to be saved. We leave it in God's hand. Our, Our job is to pray for them. And if there's any chance that we may need to be a witness, pray that the Lord will open the door. Um, So there's no one that God can save. Um, And we could thank him that he saved us from, from our past and from our sins. The second thing, our salvation should make us realize how blind and lost we were before Christ saved us. If we're not saved, we're not going to go and say, oh yeah, I'm blind. No, we're going to think that we're good, we're okay, we, we're doing the right things. I'm actually more than okay. But the moment we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, he opens our eyes so that we realize that we were sinners. No matter how much sin we did, we were born with sin. So sin is sin in God's eyes. And Christ saved us from our sins, from where we were supposed to be going. He saved us from that destruction of going to hell. Whenever we get a glimpse of God or see him, we recognize how small we are in comparison to his greatness. We see our dirt and in comparison to his purity. We recognize our unrighteousness in comparison to his righteousness. Our salvation in Christ makes us realize just how wicked and lost we are without him. 
before we met him, we used to think that, I mentioned that before, that we were okay and good and so forth. And how we see our inability to save ourselves and make ourselves right with God. We realize just how blinded we were by sin the moment he opens our eyes. Each one could say uh, a certain thing when he gets saved uh, and recognize the past. Uh, And we could all be thankful for the Lord opening our eyes and saving us. I have to give credit to, you know, doing the search, I, I, I found this information and I thought, well, this is great to use. And, uh, you know, it's something that I got from the internet and sometimes that it's a lot of great values and I thought this would be great. So uh, I give credit to the person who wrote uh, this information. Uh, and then the third thing, we are saved from something and for something. The third thing. We are saved from something and for something. When we read Acts 9, the account of Saul and how he was saved, we can't help but notice that God saved him from something and was given a new direction that he was saved for something. This is the same for all of us who are in Christ. God stopped Saul uh, from doing worse things uh, to Christian faith. It stopped him right on his tracks. God did did the same for us. He stopped us in our track. He stopped us from doing what we shouldn't be doing. Through his son, atoning uh, sacrifice on that cross of Calvary, God saved us from sin and sinful living. Saul was humbled, obviously. I think Jim mentioned that earlier. Saul was humbled, freed from the blindness uh, that causes, caused by sin. Given a new life, empowered by the Holy Spirit, preached the gospel, and went on serving Christ even when he was persecuted. All the things that he went through, he was still there for Christ after he got saved. Saul, or as we know him as Paul, he then went on to become one of the key movers of the gospel, planting churches everywhere. He goes and writing several books in the New Testament. God didn't save him from something. God saved him for something. Saved him from the sin, from the wickedness that we have, and then saved him for God's holiness, a new life, uh, being present in God's, being present in God's presence. In Christ, we have a role to play, each one of us. Saul will have a huge job to do, as we read in the New Testament. And, uh, and we also have an, a job. Each one of us have a job that God may have given us or will be given us. We cannot just sit down and, and uh, watch miracles. Uh, you know, and at some point, we could be the miracle workers for God. 
And we just have to give God that opportunity to work in us when he pleases. We need to allow him to, to make that possible. We need to make it us. We need to allow that God will work in our life to maybe change somebody's life or work in somebody's life so that we may grow and the church will grow even more and more. Yesterday, during the message from uh, John Tice, he was referring to Amazing Grace, and I couldn't help but, you know, in closing, I'd like to just read three uh, of the verses there. Um, And I think all of us could be, could apply that to us, ourselves. Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. This grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me on. And I might as well read the last one. When, we, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Just close in prayer. And God, Father, this morning, again, we thank you for uh, this, uh, the thoughts that we had before us and and how Saul uh, became a vessel, a vessel for you. Uh, we're thankful uh, for all the things that we hear about uh, Saul and Paul. Um, it is for us that was it was put in the Bible, and we just thank you for that. And we just pray that you help us as we uh, study these things and and just to, to grow and be a good example to others. Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you uh, for saving us, for for bringing us into your family by dying on that cross. And we just, uh, again, want to thank you so much for for loving us, for the blessing, and for uh, just uh, inviting us to to your family. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you in your name. Amen.